to Weird Comics History, where we bring you some weird comics history every week through the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast feed. You can pick us up uh, through iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, maybe even other places where podcasts can be found. If you're subscribed to Weird Science DC Comics podcast, you should see us show up every week on Sunday morning, so you should definitely think about doing that. This week we have something a little unusual, but very historical nonetheless. It's a, a big secret, isn't it, Chris? Can't tell you. Something about this war seems very secret to me. Yes, today, today, today we're going to discuss Marvel <laughs> superhero secret wars. Oh, um, yeah. This is the uh, 1984 version, not the uh, recent 2015 one. And uh, we're going to discuss, uh, you know, the stuff that led up to it. Uh, we're going to go in a little, uh, a little shallow on the story and then just talk about some of the ramifications and uh, just what doors this opened up for the industry insofar as event publication, uh, the direct market taking over and all that good stuff. But... To start, we got to let you know that multi-part stories in comics were not a new thing in 1984. Uh, comics in the 50s, uh, for instance, went to, you know, they went to th- from three stories per issue to uh, maybe a three-act story per issue. So, yeah. I mean, you know, you have chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, instead of three disparate stories in one book. Um, and still, a few stories, they did bleed into the next issue or future issues. Uh, so, you know, say Superman could manifest a power in one issue that could just be used to get him out of a jam for that one issue or the next one, or it just would not be used in the next one or never mentioned again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> I always think of the two are his uh, super ventriloquism is a popular one, but also the one where he was able to create miniature Superman with his brain. Yes. <laughs> you know, and that, like you, I would just use that all the time. You know what I mean? If I could make miniature versions of myself, but he never, he never saw it again. Absolutely. Think of all the shows we could record. Right. <laughs> now, in the uh, in the Marvel age, comics would end on cliffhangers to be resolved or developed on uh, the next issue. Uh, you know, soon stories would continue. They would just it would just be common for them to continue in the next issue, uh, developing into three parts or maybe even more parts or just maybe backburnering for a little while and resurfacing later. So, yep. it was real serial storytelling. And uh, DC would follow suit with some long-form arcs of their own. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, a certain fella by the name of Jim Shooter, he wrote for the Legion of Superheroes and uh, also uh, adventure comics, and, you know, they would have ongoing stories. Yeah, so something would happen. There would be two and three parts. Something would happen, and then it would have ramifications, like you just said, several issues later. You know, he was actually back-burnering stories, which... It's funny that we're mentioning this, and you're going to mention another one. This seems like normal comic book stuff, but yes. it was the point is it wasn't at the time. This was actually new for DC Comics to do this. Yes, because it was all episodic, and, and we'll get deeper into this when we discuss the uh, the direct market. But uh, you know, you could pick up one issue and not see the next three or four issues on that same newsstand, right? Yeah, <laughs> and and only rejoin that book uh, six months later. Uh, another one which we had discussed on the uh, Cosmic Treadmill was the Sand Superman saga, that ran from September 1971 to January 19 to gen- 1972. Um, All right. These were in issues of Superman and Action Comics, and uh, we also have the uh, Strange Apparitions arc uh, that was a Batman arc from May 77 to October 78 uh, that was in sporadic issues of uh, Detective Comics. Uh, over on Marvel side, there was the Avengers Cree uh, Scroll War which ran from Avengers 89 to 97, which was June 71 to March 72. 
um, Uncanny X-Men, Days of Future Past. It was just two issues, but it was, uh, you know, it was one that crossed into it. It was uh, a very deliberate to be continued. Yeah. And that was uh, January, February, 1981. Um, story that I remember liking a lot, but I haven't read it in a long time. Uh, the Legion of Superheroes, uh, The Great Darkness Saga. That ran from issues 290 to 294 of that of that book, and it was August to December 1982. That was with uh, Darkseid, right? That's right, yeah. That was, a, that was a heck of a reveal that, unfortunately, due to my age, was ruined for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then he's also, I believe, he's also on the cover of the trade paperback. Come to think of it, so is, like you, yes. you're, you're <laughs> screwed going annual. into it, no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that was the annual uh, that they used for the cover of that. Yeah. Um, there was also the Flash, which uh, this is maybe more of an arc, but it was the trial of the Flash, which ran for a very, very long time, from issues uh, two twenty three to the very end of the book uh, at three. Uh, I'm sorry, three twenty three to three fifty. And this went from July of 83 to October of 85. But now this was prolonged really because of... Because uh, of the crisis. Crisis on Infinite Earth that came in 85. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But, you know, this does bring up a lot of these stories. They're arcs, really. Or are yeah. they arcs? It's, it's, it's sort of is a uh, strange world of definitions in the comic book Very world. Very nebulous, yeah. It is. So uh, Chris and I came up with what we think are the criteria for an event book, what we're talking about, you know, an event book like Secret Wars. and Yes. And we figure that an event book has to have three criteria, and this is just our, this is just our take on it. So if you guys have an insight or argument, please let us know. Uh, we figure that an event book has to have its own title. Uh, it has to involve multiple hero or villain families. So this isn't just an X-Men book or an Avengers book. This is everybody. Yeah. Or and a lot or, or yeah, a lot maybe of people. Not everybody, yeah. But yeah, yeah. More than more than just that. And uh, it has to go for more than two issues. So that that is our loose interpretation of what an event book is, and it's the criteria we're gonna use throughout this episode. Um, now before we get into Secret Wars. This isn't even the first official Marvel Comics event. And that distinction goes to Marvel Superhero Contest of Champions, which ran from June to August 1982, written by Mark Grunewald with art by John Romita Jr. And this was also Marvel's first official limited series. Interesting, yeah. And it was kind of bad. Yeah, but it (laughs) it does show that Marvel was sort of doubling down on the direct market. this is something. And I think it was a tie. I I, I want to say it was a either a reaction or it was an attempted reaction at the to the Olympic Games. There was an Olympic. I believe what it was they were supposed to do Olympic. Like Marvel at the Olympics, and then the copyrights came. Exactly. In. Yeah. That, that's 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 my memory of when reading about it. They they had to change it at the last moment, and they just sort of changed it into this. But it was supposed to be tied into the Olympics, which I think were going on in Los Angeles that year. Um, but, you know, the, about the direct market, you know, someday we're going to do probably a very long episode or episodes about the direct market, but it, it really can't be underplayed and obviously how it changed everything about comics from its distribution to, to the very stories that are within them. Um, you know, and, and the reason you could do something like Contest of Champions or eventually uh, Marvel Superheroes uh, Secret Wars um, is really because you could go to a, a dedicated shop and get... A book every month. Before that, when things were on the on the newsstand, you really didn't know. You would go, you know, one month. The guy might not carry that book the next two, three, four months, or you might go buy an issue that was already two months old. 
there was not a lot of oversight. So, you know, it's funny. You hear stories. Some of these candy stores were very, uh, you know, careful about making sure they kept their customers happy. If they had a uh, Len Wein or a uh, <laughs> Alan Kupperberg in the neighborhood or something like that, they would make sure that they had the comics those guys wanted. But I remember as a kid, I mean, those spinner racks, they could be full of whatever. Archie. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Superman, they, they, there was no rhyme or reason. They didn't really care. There was just stuff for kids to grab. So with, with the direct market, it allowed more of these kind of long-form serial stories to come. And it would later facilitate stories that uh, continued and, and crossed over into different titles. For example, the what they call it the Superman Triangle Era, the Triangle Numbering, which was this never-ending battle approach. Uh, and this was... Uh, a, a great time. They started collecting these stories. This this was a uh, anthologies, right? And uh... no, no, this was uh, this was the main Superman line. It started in uh, 1991 with uh, Superman Volume 251, and instead of continuing into Superman Volume 2 Number 52, it continued into whichever issue of Adventures of Superman was next, and uh, then that would go into action. And uh, and eventually... that's right. The triangle would follow. Yeah, you follow the like triangle. The... So I, I, you know, I was thinking of Action Comics Weekly. No, no. Uh, that's yeah, a totally different like eventually, thing. Eventually, this was up to five titles, uh, this Superman run. It was, uh, you had Man of Steel, you had regular Superman uh, action and Adventures of Superman, plus uh, Superman the Man of Tomorrow, which was a quarterly title that filled in the fifth weeks. Wow. I mean, so it's, it's pretty pretty audacious. Uh, absolutely. And the, But some of these stories have been, uh, they are starting to get collected, as, as I've seen in the yeah. in the trade world. So it's, Which uh, is really, really good way to read them instead of having to dig out from four or five different long boxes. Yeah, really. Well, uh, how, do, how, how, do you, how do you keep them together? Do you still, do you still group them by title or do you kind of... I group them by title. I, and it's, yeah. like, it's kind of a double-edged sword because part of me wants to do it in, in you know, chronological, but my uh, obsessive tendencies... Yeah, no, you, you, you never you'll be able to retrieve them again except to read the yeah. one... You know, run Just anyway. Serially, yeah. Um, first time Marvel did it was a, a title called Spider-Man: Fearful Symmetry slash Craven's Last Hunt. These appeared in all three ongoing Spider-Man titles. This was amazing, spectacular, and web of Spider-Man by J.M. DeMatteis and Mike Zeck. Followed immediately by a Life in the Mad Dog Ward, which did the same, written by Ann Nocenti, featured an awesome, uh, featured awesome Bill Sinkovich covers. Yeah, those uh, were. Awesome covers. I actually know this. I don't know this covers, but I actually know this story because didn't it didn't it uh, touch on Daredevil? I'm just I'm, uh, perhaps. Pro- I'm probably just showing my complete lack of Marvel knowledge <laughs> here. But uh, it might, I I don't. It's been a little while since I've read it, but it's uh it's basically Spider Man. He winds up in a uh, mental institution. Yeah, and uh, has to find his way out. Um, I, I know Daredevil appeared in like the uh, Death of Gene the Wolf storyline. Which uh, it was not not too far off from this, but uh, but I, I can't remember offhand. I, I just I have a vague memory of Daredevil because that that's what would have draw, drawn me to it at the time. Mm. But uh, I, I could be off. But this is there, uh, you know, utilizing the direct market to do this kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, uh, Spider-Man titles would do basically they would do the triangle numbering just without the triangle numbers because. Uh, all throughout the like mid to late '90s, especially as we enter like the Clone Saga, you know the 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 books would not go from you know Spider-Man to Spider-Man; would go Spider-Man, Amazing, Spectacular, Sensational, and then back again. Yeah, yeah, so, it was it was really tough to keep it straight uh, yeah. at, at the time, and it seemed like every time a new artist wanted to write Spider-Man, he got his own title. 
<laughs> uh, it was like, here you go. So it's yeah. it's it's Marlon tough. To... Got one. Jurgen's got one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's. I remember. I think. I think it was really Fallout from McFarland. But maybe that's. Uh, maybe there'll be a whole Spider-Man oh, episode oh. all about yep. that. <laughs> um, and definitely, you know, the, the you know we could go on and on really about the direct market and its effect on publishing schedules and stories and and just the many many things that it changed in the industry, oh, but. Yeah. For the purposes of this, it'll suffice to say that it allowed these kind of serial stories to come uh, regularly, monthly or weekly or whatever, however it was being done, and you could always count on going to the same place and getting your comic books every single time. You won't miss a beat. Um, now, before we get into the uh, into Secret Wars here, I was reading the uh, the trade version of the book uh, that has an intro from Tom DeFalco. Who, yeah. Uh, he puts the blame squarely on DC and Kenner <laughs> mm-hmm. because they had a line of toys called the Superpowers toys. And Kenner, these were the guys who had the uh, Star Wars license before Hasbro somehow got into it. And uh, Kenner won the license for the DC properties away from, is it Mego or Mego? I've always said Mego, but those yeah, are I, like I the, little cloth, the little cloth toys, uh, yeah, which actually have had a resurgence lately. Yeah, and each figure of the superpowers line, they had like an action trigger. Like you'd lift Batman's hand and he would do a karate chop or something. Yeah, something like, something like this. And I, I always hated that. <laughs> it always, it did seem corny. You know, it's, we, we were talking about playing with toys before. Like when I played with these, I never used that. Like, yeah, why would especially I? Especially like when they wear out and it's like the guy who does the kick, he's always doing a kick. Yeah, or, or his leg is all hanging limply. You know, yeah. I remember a couple of, I think my, my Green Arrow's leg was a little loose after a while or whatever. <laughs> Now, uh, this uh, these the uh, superpowers line actually had three comic book tie-ins. They were three uh, miniseries that uh, Jack Kirby had a big part of. He uh, he plotted the first one, he penciled the second one, and the third one was uh, penciled by uh, Carmine Infantino. And these were mini comics that came in the books, came with the toys. But there was also the line too. There there, there was also a yeah. uh, comic book line, but yeah, when, when I when I wrote this, I was thinking of the little. The ones that were included with the, the mini movie. comics, which are like you know, I don't remember, twelve pages or something like that. It's always it's always a little tight, little cute story. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, this was uh, you know this was the early eighties, which was kind of what they call the boys' toys revolution. You know, you'd every every cartoon or every comic they were getting action figures and play sets and vehicles and. You know, G.I. Joe was there, uh, Star Wars, uh, eventually, you know, Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, I mean, He-Man. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, so, uh, there were toy, you know, boys' toys were just the thing at that point. And uh, Mattel, they get interested. They're the, uh, you know, they're a rival to Kenner, and they are the ones behind He-Man. And they're looking to do a toy line based on comics, but only if there were a comic book event to promote it. And... Uh, the name of the event was Secret Wars, clearly, and that was out of Marvel's hands because uh, Mattel ran focus groups with children and found that the words secret and wars tested really well with the kids. I really love to see what the other words would be. What other options? Because, <laughs> frankly, a, another word that tests well with kids is fart. You know? That would have been a great... Well, we uh, could have had secret farts. <laughs> we could have. <laughs> now, uh, Tom DeFalco, as we said, he edited the series. He remembers that uh, Marvel initially wanted the series to be called Marvel Superpowers, which, you know, you had, you know, Kenner had superpowers, so why not have Marvel superheroes? Um, Mattel insisted it would be called Secret Wars, 
And uh, a compromise was finally made in the mouthful title that makes it hard to find this thing in back issue bins. Yep. <laughs> it's uh, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. Is it filed under M? Is it filed under S? Who knows? Yeah, I, but, but I, which actually was a fact that I'd forgotten until we researched this because no one ever calls it Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. You know, right. you always call it Secret Wars or the original yeah. Secret Wars, whatever it is. Yep, exactly. Um, now, some uh, story elements were also out of Marvel's hands. Because um, Mattel decided that Doctor Doom needed updating. The kids just didn't dig that medieval vibe. He needed to look more robotic. Um, Iron Man's armor also needed updating. They decided that there need to be female characters included. So we get the uh, the new Spider-Woman, who's uh, Julia Carpenter. We get Titania and Volcana. Uh, now the story had to include locations that might be trained that might be turned into playsets, uh, which we'll get to later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain characters were left out because Mattel just didn't have any interest in, interest in creating characters for them, or creating figures for them, like uh, Doctor Strange, Daredevil. You know, they, they're not in the story. Mattel didn't care. How could you not want to create a figure for Doctor Strange? You'd figure, right? I mean, come on. It's like you got a cloak. You got like the, you know, the super hands. The eye of Amagato. I don't know. Anyway. Now, but once everything was set, Mattel kind of backed off and just let Marvel do their thing. And so we enter Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars. This ran for 12 issues from May 1984 to April 1985. Uh, the entire series was written by Jim Shooter, mostly drawn by Mike uh, Zek. But we will get to all the those credits as we go through the series. So a little bit about Jim Shooter. He was born September 27th, 1951 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And as a young fan, he wrote and drew stories featuring the Legion of Superheroes characters for Adventure Comics. He mailed them into DC Comics. He was hired by Mort Weisinger to write Legion of Superheroes in 1965 at the age of 13, something Mort Weisinger didn't know at at first. Uh, (laughs) But when he found out, he still kept them on. At 14, started contributing to both Action Comics and Adventure Comics and created several characters for DC. Uh, Karate Kid, not the Ralph Macchio version, but a a member of the Legion. Feral Lad, who actually died uh, Mm -hmm. in, in the book. Princess Projectress, Sun Eater, and Fatal Five. These are all for the Legion. He created the Superman villain Parasite, who's one of my favorite Superman villains, uh, and also wrote the first race between Superman and Flash. So he did quite quite important work at DC at a very early age. Uh, in 1968, he worked as an editor for Marvel Comics while living at the YMCA. I believe the well, story... He's paying too well. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, you know, this is, uh, you know, he was a young upstart too. Uh, but as I recall, he actually went to work as an assistant to Weisinger and quit mm-hmm. after one day. Yes. Because he was just too much of a ball buster. Uh, he, he left comics for a time, returned to Pittsburgh, and eventually came back to New York, and he became the Marvel editor-in-chief from 78 to 1987. Uh, Shooter felt he would be the best man for this job because it was subscribed to the... He, he, he said there was a very territorial nature in the bullpen of creators, which... We've talked about a little bit already before on a John Byrne episode and just a general comics talk. Uh, creative, teams were very, creative teams were very possessive of the characters they worked on. And Shooter felt that if Chris Claremont was let loose on the Fantastic Four, John Byrne would blow his stack. And he was 100% correct. The two of them yes. had a very contentious relationship. Again, we talked about this a little bit uh, three episodes ago when we talked about John Byrne. But... Uh, there are a lot of stories, like the, a lot of comics history is the, the you know it contains these stories of creators getting annoyed that someone changed them, put a mustache on their character, or whatever it is, you know. So uh, you'll definitely hear more about this as we as we go along. 
Uh, Shooter is quoted saying, To avoid war among the writers, I was the only possible choice for writing the thing. He's talking about secret wars now. Uh, he also saw himself as editor-in-chief as the company's designated keeper of the franchises. That's a quote from him. And also, quote, the ordained absolute authority on the characters. So who better to steer the ship for this massive event? Uh, Shooter was a major adherent to Stanley's concept of writing the illusion of change. That's that it should things should seem to be changing all the time in your comics, but in fact they're constantly resetting back to uh, familiar point zero. And never give the fans what they think they want. That that was you know he also was a the uh, every comic is uh, someone's first and last. Yep. You know a lot of concepts Stanley had. Jim took Jim Shooter took to heart, and uh, it's funny. It's a lot of concepts that theoretically are less important in the direct market, but that's sure. a conjecture and something we'll probably get to when we talk about the direct market. Uh, you know, Secret Wars though it reads almost like the ultimate treatise on this illusion of change philosophy because uh, as we go through, you'll see a lot of stuff happens in Secret Wars. We're not going to mention every bit and blow, but there's a lot of action, a lot of. Stuff that seems like it's going to have ramifications, but in the end, there really is only one lasting ramification from 12 issues, and uh, we'll get to that. Uh, folks there at the time think, thought that Shooter was just looking at the delicious amounts of licensing royalties attached to this project and wanted them all to himself. Um, I'm dubious about that. You know, we'll, hmm. we'll, I guess we'll get more into it later, but this guy had a real, as we talked about, a lifelong comics pedigree, and yeah. uh, all evidence does point to him believing in comics and believing in these characters and he, you know he was a businessman yeah but I, I think he was genuinely protective of these IPS uh, not just on a business level but on, on a personal on a story level as well and sure. and again we will get into some of that as we go on <laughs> now I've said this a million times already but before we get into the <laughs> into secret was here we got the lead up which happened in April of 1984 within uh, several issues of Marvel Comics. Um, starting with uh, just in no no particular order here, we have uh, Amazing Spider-Man number two hundred fifty-one, uh, where Spider-Man it ends with a, like a one or two-page bit where Spider-Man is drawn to Central Park, where he sees this odd, strange, futuristic version of Stonehenge. He enters it and he vanishes. Um, <clears throat> in Uncanny X-Men number one hundred eighty. Uh, X-Men members Professor X, Colossus, Storm, Wolverine, Nightcrawler enter the same Stonehenge and vanish. Um, later on, we'd find out that Cyclops, Rogue, Lockheed the Dragon, and even Magneto would wind up on Battleworld, but yeah. they don't appear in this prologue. Um, the original Mike Zek cover to Secret Wars number one has Kitty Pride on the, on the cover among the heroes. Uh, she didn't make the cut, obviously. Yeah. Um, in Avengers number 242 and Captain America number 292, uh, Captain America, Hawkeye, Captain Marvel, this is the Monica Rambeau version. I think she's Photon or something now. I um, Spectrum, know. maybe. <laughs> uh, Thor, She-Hulk, and Wasp also went to the Stonehenge. Um, Iron Man number 181. This is not Tony Stark. This is Jim Rhodes, who is filling in for, I think he's... Uh, you know, uh, the drunken... Tony yeah, he's on a bender point. right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's trying to get on that wagon. And uh, Jim Rhodes, is he's Iron Man, he enters, disappears. Incredible Hulk number 294, guess what happens? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the Fantastic Four also show up, but that was in an issue of Thing, Thing number 10. And this is Reed, Johnny, and Ben. They all go for the ride. Uh, the Invisible Woman, or Invisible Girl at the time, I believe she was pregnant, or was about to be. Yeah. We were about to find out. 
And I think Mattel was like, how do you make a toy of an invisible character? <laughs> Maybe they did. I think that I think that has a lot to do with it. I think they were just like, eh, you don't have to send her. We're not going to really make a toy out of her. So Kids can pretend that she's there. Exactly. I mean, although they could have made over just selling an empty package. You know, here's Invisible Woman, kids. You know, <laughs> It would have been a creative decision. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, also, one thing I like about this, when you look through these... Uh, Little snippets, besides them obviously being kind of shoehorned usually into a couple of panels or maybe a page or so into these into these comics, is that this mechanical Stonehenge or this strange futuristic Stonehenge looks just a little bit different every time, you know? It does. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they obviously they had an idea, they're working from a model, but different artists, they render things just different, so it's... Uh, I, I got a kick out of that, it's especially when you look at the trade collection, the same one that, that, that you have, and you see them side by side. You can see how these it sort of changes a little bit. But uh, now we finally get to the series itself, Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number one. First issue was The War Begins, May 1984, written by Jim Shooter and drawn by Mike Zeck. Uh, the heroes assemble in a large room full of pseudo-Kirby tech. It really is not quite there as far as the Kirby no. level, but it's, you know <laughs> you're, you see what they're going for, or Zek's going for. Uh, the Wasp decides it's a good deal for everybody to introduce themselves, <laughs> which is, seems about as corny. You know, it's, you know, my name's Reggie, and my power is, you know, eating rocks, or that kind of thing, you know. It's, <laughs> it's like, we're, we're, I'm the winsome Wasp, and I'm Captain America. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, this is not, you know, this but is this not... this was being written for the toy market. You, you really have more natural, you know, introductions at an AA meeting, frankly. It really seems a little... But... <laughs> These are my X-Men, and Lockheed the Dragon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> TM. Uh... <laughs> The hero's surprised to find that the villain Magneto, he's an X-Men villain normally, and he's among them, so that's pretty uh, unusual. And speaking of villains, we got those too. Elsewhere on the planet stand Ultron, the Wrecking Crew, Doctor Doom, Molecule Man, Kang, Doctor Octopus, the Lizard, Enchantress, the Absorbing Man, and the Mighty Galactus, who also introduced themselves, and that's pretty much the issue. That's it. Yep. Um, now we continue into uh, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number two. This is called Prisoners of War, cover date June 1984. This is another uh, Shooter and Zek issue. Uh, Galactus snubs Doctor Doom, so he infiltrates the villain's lair, which is a, an abandoned castle, which would hopefully become a, an action figure playset. Yeah. And uh, he reactivates Ultron. Uh, Magneto inhabits his own base. He's somewhere between hero and villain here. Uh, he infiltrates the hero's base and he kidnaps the winsome wasp. Uh, the thing, he loses his rocky exterior, he becomes Ben Grimm again, human. And uh, Galactus stands upon Energy Mountain. Yep. Uh, and, you know, this thing with Ben Grimm, I didn't name every time, but he keeps switching back and forth. Yeah. Very conveniently becoming human when he's most needed, but you know, that's. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you'll find that's true of a lot of, the, a lot of these characters, sort of take a. Have to take a breather when they're, you know, this fighting going on. Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number three, The Crisis Within, July 1984. This was also Jim Shooter and Mike Zeck. Doctor Doom turns Marsha Rosenberg and Skeeter McFerrin into Volcana and Titania, respectively. Volcana has sort of volcano powers, and Titania is very strong. Uh, the villains launch an early morning attack against the heroes who overslept. I mean, that's such a Marvel thing. You know what I mean? Yep. But the, you know, like, what, you know, <laughs> someone forgot to set the alarm. Yeah, like, what the hell happened? <laughs> and uh, they rescued any of the villains that were captured in the first conflict. Thorn Enchantress vanishes somewhere else on Battleworld to talk secret, you know, uh, mystical things. And Galactus 
still standing atop Energy Mountain. <laughs> uh, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number four. Title, Situation Hopeless, August 1984. This is Jim Shooter and Bob Layton. Uh, in this, the hero's base is destroyed, but the molecule man dumps a mountain on him. <laughs> Uh, this is the one that Hulk holds up. Yep. Um, Thor and Enchantress pop back in the middle of uh, Doom's army. Enchantress obviously sides with Doom. Ultron uh, appears to atomize Thor, which uh, lasts as long as you'd imagine it would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kang is killed by Ultron, but again, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about poor old Kang. Uh, Professor X allies with Magneto, which is pretty cool. And uh, this is the first time that happens, right? Is this would you say this is sort of the beginning of the softening of Magneto's character? Magneto was becoming softened ever since Chris Claremont got a hold of him. Uh, he was trying to really play up the uh, you know, it's like the Holocaust angle, right? Yeah, the Holocaust. He was either he was either a Jew or he was a gypsy, and it changed back and forth. And uh, but yeah, he was really softening. I, I can't remember. Actually, the uh, trial of Magneto was in X-Men 200, so that would still be about a year out. But uh, So that would actually probably come out as Secret Wars was ending. So, yeah, this is probably the, uh, the uh, catalyst. Um, now, the heroes are protected by uh, being crushed by that mountain by uh, the Hulk. And uh, they reconvene in a village at the base of Magneto Mountain. And uh, you know, the battle world is not just these heroes. It's... Uh, there, there are people there, or inhabitants. All right, now we go to Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number five, the Battle of Four Armies, September 1984. That was Jim Shooter and Bob Layton. Galactus is about to consume Battle Worlds, and everyone tries to stop him, and they don't. No. Doctor Doom infiltrates his ship. Uh, Colossus is injured, taken in by heroes, and he falls for the same healing alien that Johnny Storm has fallen for from the last issue, and this becomes a... Sort of an undercurrent story that I, was never one of my favorites of Secret Wars, quite frankly. Yes. Now that was that was that Sanchi or Zanchi? Yeah, I, I, her name comes up later on. I forget what it was. <laughs> uh, now we go to Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number six. Title: A Little Death, October '84. We're back to uh, Shooter and Zek. Uh, this issue is, uh, you know, we move some pieces around here. Uh, we got Wasp finding a dome-looking base where she tends to an injured lizard. Uh, Doom sucks claw out of a wall in Galactus's ship somehow, which is a fallout from a fight that he had with uh, Dazzler. Yeah. And uh, sends him down to tell the villains how great he is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the X Men mobilize to stop the villains from exploding a volcano on Battleworld. Now the lizard gets captured, and the wasp is seemingly killed by the wrecking crew. But uh, worry ye not, folks. Don't worry. She should be okay. I always find it weird that you use Claw here, but not Daredevil. Yeah. You know, and Claw to me was always such like a eh villain, but, you know, that's totally. fine. <laughs> Maybe he would make a nice action figure. I think, I think that was definitely the idea. You know, his hands look funny, so that'll be yes. uh, fun for the kids. <laughs> uh, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number seven, Berserker, November 1984. That was Jim Shooter, Mike Zek uh, again. And hey everyone, Spider-Woman's here now. She just kind of shows up. She's been lurking around. And she actually says that a chunk of Denver has been transported to Battleworld. And that comes uh, becomes important later. Wrecking Crew dumps Wasp's body off with the heroes. And they are very mad. But Captain America stops them from retaliating because Galactus is still a threat. Why that, you know, follows, I'm not really sure. But that's Captain <laughs> America. You listen to him. Uh, Galactus... Yeah, senses Doom and ejects him forcefully from his ship, really kind of messing him up in the process. Sort of like he might need a new 
pseudo armor maybe. Um, she Hulk sneaks over to the villains and beats the hell out of the wrecking crew uh, in retaliation yeah. for the swamp. For uh, sorry, wasp. And Professor X says, "We'll keep our eye on Galactus. You go off and fight the bad guys. You go ahead. Uh, the rest of you, the mutants, will take care of this. I'm sorry. Keep yeah, Galactus." <laughs> Hey, Professor X is a very forward-thinking fella. He, he yeah. knows where the, his bread's buttered. Um, go to Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number eight. Invasion, December 1984. Jim Shooter, Mike Zek. Big fight. Except uh, Enchantress is a little too tipsy to yeah. partake. Um, Iron Man's armor gets wrecked, which reveals Jim Rhodes inside, not Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is most famous, perhaps, or definitely, for Spider-Man getting his black costume. And uh, this originated in a 1982 fan contest for Marvel uh, soliciting ideas, and we'll get into that a little bit more later on. Yeah, that turns out. This turns out to be the ramification, as far as I'm concerned, from <laughs> the, the Secret yes. Wars. Yeah, the one. So we'll we'll talk about that in detail a little bit later on. Uh, Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number night number nine, Assault on Galactus, January 1985. That was Shooter and Zek. Galactus starts up his world leader, and it's time for an assault on him. Uh, Galactus shows Reed Richards he's going to be a papa. Uh, I mean, this whole way it happens, people just teleport wherever they want. It's so there's a lot of yeah. convenient teleportation in this series, people. So this is how it happens. Galactus takes Reed Richards to his homeworld, um, but the heroes keep fighting him. Reed Richards even tries to stop them to say, "No, he's a father to be." But eventually, they they, they beat him up so badly uh, he has to leave and starts eating his own homeworld. Yep. Uh, that goes into Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number 10, Death to the Beyonder. Who? Uh, <laughs> February 1985. This is Jim Shooter, Mike Zek. Uh, Doom is siphoning the energy Galactus should be absorbing from eating his own homeworld. Uh, he uses this energy to take the fight to the Beyonder. And the Beyonder is the fellow who assembled this entire secret war. Yeah, pretty much uh, has it, limitless power. Yes, and it, it doesn't go too well for Doom. Uh, Battle World gets rocked by earthquakes. Uh, Doom is magically repaired, causing more earthquakes, uh, and Doom base is ultimately destroyed. And in the rubble, a giant Doctor Doom appears, who then says he killed the Beyonder, and the Secret Wars are over. And that was it, folks. They never did another... Oh, no, actually, they went to Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number 11. <laughs> yes. Uh, titled, And Dust to Dust, March 1985. Jim Shooter and Mike Zek back again. Doom has the Beyonder's powers now. No big deal. He's sort of nonchalant about it. Uh, Molecule Man and Volcana, who have had kind of a romance budding this entire series, uh, they split by floating the chunk of Denver that brought that was brought to Battleworld into space. And Spider Woman's annoyed because she has like her favorite paperbacks are still in her apartment, and you know yeah. her, her best uh, underwear is there, so she's not too thrilled about it. And she uh, didn't feed the cat. Pretty much in this in this issue, everyone that had died, they're back. This is when they all come back to life. Everything is reset. And uh, there's some weird energy floating around that we find out in the next issue is the Beyonder, but it transfers from the Hulk to Spider-Woman, and I think, is it by the end of this issue it transfers to the Claw, or is that the next issue? I forget, but... Yeah, one of those. Ultimately, it it ends up with the Claw, uh, who, for some reason, has become Doom's, like, right-hand man. He's, like, his confidant. Yes. Uh, The heroes vote on whether they should fight Doom. Is this <laughs> is this really a thud the the vote on you know should do you think we should fight the guy the evil guy with limitless power while well, they uh, pretty much all vote to do so and as soon as the Colossus he's the last vote as soon as he places his vote a blast from somewhere kills all of the superheroes. Mm-hmm. 
leading right into Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number 12, a title uh, Nothing to Fear, April 1985, Jim Shooter, Mike Zek. Somehow, the heroes survive. Everyone attacks Doom at the Tower of Doom. Now, Claw, who, like we mentioned, is possessed by the Beyonder, returns Doom to normal. Uh, Reed Richards creates a machine to teleport everyone back to Earth, um, which he... You wonder why he didn't do that a, a little while ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, except for uh, Ben Grimm. He wants to hang out on Battleworld uh, since it, it, it's the only place that seems to make him human from time and again. And uh, we will find out that uh, She-Hulk will take his spot on the Fantastic Four for a time. Yeah, which actually was a pretty interesting run yeah. on, on it. I like that uh, when... I don't mind to see sometimes they shuffle guys that are not of the Fantastic Four to keep it sure. keep it keep lively it yeah. uh, when they shove Spider-Man in there for a while. It was cool. So, uh, But that was the end. That was it for Secret Wars, and, and it all wrapped up. And in the end, everyone went back to Earth, and uh, pretty much it was business as usual. It's also uh, worth the... mentioning that while this went on, the regular comics went on yep. without really referencing this. Well, except uh, for, uh, I mean, like in Spider-Man, Spider-Man yeah. too. He's uh, he's wearing the black costume and nobody knows why. That, because this, yeah. <laughs> I was I was listening to a Spider-Man podcast not too long ago where they were talking about Spider-Man history, and the fellow who was reviewing that book said that uh, that uh, Spider-Man was on a super secret space adventure that they're not allowed to talk about. That's how he explained the entire thing away. Because, yeah, uh, fair enough. Folks were wondering why he was in black, and nope, sorry, I was on a super secret space adventure that I'm not allowed to talk about. But that, but I mean, that pretty much was it. Other than that, the other books just sort of did what they were always doing, and uh, it's it's also worth mentioning that uh, I think it's to Jim Shooter's credit that he did maintain a lot of the storylines that were going on. He didn't just wipe, wipe them out. You know, for example, Jim Rhodes is wearing the Iron Man suit. And the fact that they couldn't use Jessica Drew as Spider Woman because she was in a coma, uh, and other other you know little tidbits here and there, it shows that he was aware that there was overarching stories and didn't want to impugn them or or, or uh, ruin them just by wiping it them was, out. It was I, almost as if he was an editor. Almost, almost as if yeah, almost as if he was the <laughs> editor in chief. And yeah, the people don't seem to have that kind of attention to detail, or are they as accepting of other people's storylines you know but um that's now that's looked at as being a slave to continuity yeah exactly just yeah. enforcing story you know and there's so much like even infighting you know where people absolutely jerk around each other's stories but this one didn't this one if you want to uh you could put it right in continuity for this period of marvel and it wouldn't actually make that big of a difference because there weren't really any lasting changes <laughs> but it does fit um and that was it for Secret Wars. So, you know, uh, this turned out to be a huge thing for Marvel and for the industry. And we're going to talk all about that. But first, I want you to listen to a commercial for the Secret Wars toys from Mattel Toy Manufacturing. Secret Wars. Secret decoding shield of the dreaded Dr. Doom has ordered him to blow up the Freedom Tower. Dr. Octopus, Dr. Doom, Captain America, and Spider-Man each sold separately. Here's how it works, Dr. Octopus. Just slip the secret message in the secret shield. Now our secret mission is revealed. How do we stop him, Captain America? That's our secret, Spider-Man. Dr. Doom, Captain America, and other action figures from the Marvel Secret Wars collection each sold separately. New from Mattel. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we're done talking about the comic Secret Wars. Now we're going to talk about the ramifications of Secret Wars. Uh, this led to a kind of a sales explosion. The sales of the action figure line, which we'll talk about in, in a minute, 
It didn't do that great. The comic book was selling like gangbusters. And per Bradford Wright's comic book nation, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars was reaching the 800,000 monthly issue mark. Imagine that. Which is like an unbelievable figure, especially today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the toys. Don't forget that this whole thing was about toys. There were two series released by Mattel in 1984 and 1985. A third series was released outside of North America. Like Brazil. Consisting of Constrictor, Electro, and Iceman. You know, like, what, where, were they even in the story? What the hell? It's so weird. <laughs> uh, each character came with a lenticular shield. Lenticular are those, um, you know, little plastic images where you, you turn them. Yep. Yeah, they, they keep changing. Uh, you know, DC did their whole line of lenticular covers uh, two years in, in a row. Uh, if you don't, you know, you, it, when you see it, you know what it is. And each one of them had one. And as I remember, some of them would uh, flash their, you know, Captain America's shield. And then there'd be an image of him punching somebody. Or some of them were actually like Dr. Doom's was actually his secret plans. Where the, when you, yep. it was very silly stuff. And uh, not a horrible bunch of toys, but the character models were like a little off compared to the superpowers. They were also about three quarters the size. Yeah. And, and as I remember playing with them, they always they were a little looser than the, than the superpowers toys for whatever reason. Uh, and the lenticular shield was just too stupid an idea to capture even the minds of dumb little children. <laughs> so uh, there were a few play sets too. Most of them were Doom related, including the Tower of Doom. I never saw those. I don't know anyone that actually had them in real life, but I assume they probably sold something. Yeah, I only I've only seen pictures of them online. I've never actually seen them in person. So yeah, even my I, friend that had. Some of these toys that I did play with, he had no interest in these uh, play sets. I have a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Not when GI Joe has the freaking, you know, the battle the cruiser. USS flag. Yeah, yeah, you know, like come on. <laughs> now, uh, going into the fallout here, we mentioned that there was one big ramification, and that was uh, Spider-Man's new duds. Um, we also briefly mentioned that there was a contest. Uh, a fellow by the name of Randy Shula, who was a fan, he wrote into Marvel in response to that competition. And uh, they, this competition was for new and exciting Spider-Man stories. And he offered that Spidey was due for an upgrade, both in power level and fashion sense. Uh, this black costume was offered. And, uh, you know, the uh, the one that we think of has the white spider on the chest. But yeah. the one that he offered had a red spider symbol on the chest. And it would be made of unstable molecules, like most things in Marvel Universe. Which allowed Peter better sticking power. <laughs> now the black, the black would also help him become more stealthy. Jim Shooter dug it and bought the concept for two hundred twenty dollars American, and seemingly backburnered it. Uh, during Secret Wars, Spidey suit gets wrecked, and he finds a globular sphere of something, just a black ball, um, and decides it's a good idea to cover his body in it. Um, <laughs> turns out this new cost <laughs> he turns out this new costume is a sim- symbiotic creature who we will later know as venom and uh we'll probably talk about venom I- i'm sure we'll get to him eventually i mean yeah if, if anyone is a fan of the of the marvel of marvel comics and even reading them today this still has ramifications there are characters in agent venom there was yep. a character carnage that kind of grew out of this it, it it's it really did have major ramifications throughout oh, marvel yeah. There was a whole line of symbiotes, symbiotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing here we mentioned, uh, Ben Grimm decided to stay on Battleworld, uh, which led to She-Hulk taking his place as the bruiser of the Fantastic Four. Uh, Kitty Pride, who was not only left out of the crossover, she also lost her boyfriend. 
uh, Kitty and Colossus break off their uh, not a Ray, not a May December romance, more like a May August, May September. Something romance. like that, yeah. <laughs> it was still kind of creepy either way, um, and that's because Colossus was really into this Jaji that he met on Battle World. Who, um, who dies the, anyway, though? But yeah, but he he the, the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, new Spider Woman Jessica Carpenter shows up. Um, when the Avengers return back, they find that Vision's kind of uh, taken over, and uh, they start up the West Coast Avengers to, uh, yeah, I guess get better coverage <laughs> uh, <laughs> and to sell another book. Uh, Hulk's intelligence keeps diminishing uh, to the point where Doctor Strange has to actually banish him to another dimension for everyone's safety. And uh, you know, none of these changes, except for you know this, the Venom thing, are really permanent, and some lasted a very short time, like the Hulk one. Yeah, the, uh, and the new the new Spider Woman still farts around, I think, right? She's Madam Web now. Yeah, they, they they never get rid of any. They make a character, they don't ever really vanish in Marvel. It's they, so rare that they get new characters anymore. <laughs> I guess that's sorry. They have to keep repurposing. So uh, I, you could say that she she's still around. So there was. Result. The rest of these, though, they pretty much. I, West Coast Adventures wasn't even really that long lived, as I remember. Although that maybe. That went to 103 issues and then changed into a book called Force Works, which was, I, I want to say it was like an environmentally charged branch of the Avengers. Like they were trying to, like kind of Captain Planet y, like natural disasters and stuff like that. My memory is that, uh, you know, West Coast Adventures, that was run at least initially by Hawkeye, right? Yeah. And he had. At the time, the worst costume in uh, in <laughs> did, comics, did I think. Like the purple costume. Oh god, I hated it so much. <laughs> it was so ridiculous, and uh, I think that's why I, I I saw it. I was like, nope, I'm not interested in any any Hawkeye led team. So I pretty much it also uh, it also kind of. Uh took a bit of the cachet out of being an Avenger. I mean, right now, I think I think you and I are both Avengers. So yeah, I mean, pretty much. You don't, it, there's no prestige to it anymore, but it was here where they started adding, like, you know, Moon Knight would become one, and uh, I think Mockingbird became one here. It was just, uh, it really kind of diluted the brand, yeah. in my opinion. I could see, and, and especially now where there's not one member of the Marvel superhero universe that isn't or wasn't. I think I think Silver Surfer is it. That's the only one, right? <laughs> He's like, I'm too good for this shit. Yeah. Um, so of course, Secret Wars being successful, well, we gotta try to hit, make that lightning strike twice. So. Well, the iron's hot. Yeah. So Secret Wars number two, 1985. That was also written by Jim Shooter. That started just three months after the conclusion of the first event. Uh, Jim Shooter is steadfast. He says this was not a rush, thrown together money grab. He says it was put on the schedule as soon as the returns for issue number one. Of the first series were released, which is probably I not. Believe that. Yeah, probably not untrue. I think he saw the uh, the money rolling in. He was like, "Oh yeah, a million issues." Yeah. We yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, Sabusema was originally pegged for art chores, but due to the layouts imposed on him, he declined the gig. Uh, but he did pencil the entire first issue. Al Milgram took over and redrew issue number one. Uh, Milgram was quoted about his reservations on the redraws that Jim said. That's okay, we're going to make a lot of money, and we can afford to write off one set of pencils. Spider-Man in this... So, <laughs> Secret Wars number two is the Beyonder comes to Earth to, mm -hmm. to live among us, to find out what makes us, the great Earthlings tick. And one of the more memorable scenes in it is Spider-Man teaching the Beyonder how to poop. Yep. Uh, he has to learn everything, though, you know, it's just like a newborn babe. Um, first issue includes a caricature of Steve Gerber, who was on the outs of Marvel during the time. This was during the Howard the Duck 
litigation, I assume, right? Probably. Um, I thought he sort of was on the outs with Marvel throughout all of the 80s, so it could <laughs> be a lot of things. Entire career. <laughs> uh, and so the, the, the parody of him is a form of a ranting, disgruntled scriptwriter called Stuart Cadwall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beyonder creates a form of himself that is part Captain America, part Burt Convy. And it was released in 2009 as a 1,184-page 1, 1, omnibus. Thanks. It's out of print. It's 500 bucks on Amazon if you really want it. And you really don't. It's not that great. No. Uh, of course, this had to be followed uh, not too soon after, but not, not too far away. Secret Wars number three. Uh, this began in... Oh, this was a, a, it was a single issue. A single issue of Fantastic Four number 319, October 1988. By Steve Englehart and Keith Pollard, or you could call it Pollard, I'm not sure. Pollard. Pollard works too, I guess. Revealed that the Beyonder and the Molecule Man are two parts of the same cosmic cube. And this is post-shooter Marvel, so it's probably not his intention that this was going to happen. Yeah, and, and uh, I think Englehart was one of those guys who really didn't dig Shooter. I think, uh, I th- actually, you know what, I think his problems came later. I take that back, because I know uh, Englehart... Signed off on his last few issues of Fantastic Four as uh, John Harkness. That was his uh, one of his pseudonyms. Oh yeah, he would just... for when he when he really doesn't dig the story he's telling. Yeah, he felt like it was too too edited. Yeah, when it was when the editorial got a little bit heavy handed, he would take that name. Um, so that actually came after that. So he might not have had any problems with Shooter. Um, Secret War. The name came back. Uh, we, we talked uh, last week during our Charlton thing about in the mid-2000s, all these <laughs> odd names were coming back, and we we posited that it might be due to rights issues. Yeah. And uh, Secret War, uh, singular, came out in April 2004 and ran till December 2005, which might make you think it was like an 18-part story. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is a five-part story. It took the better part of two years to complete. It was written by Brian Michael Bendis. And there's your answer, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think the art was uh, Simone Bianchi. Oh, yeah. And uh, this kind of mangled uh, Nick Fury's continuity for the era. But uh, but that's okay. They already had one they liked better anyway. One that looked like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, that was the one they wanted. <laughs> yep. Uh, Nick Fury, he leads a chosen few heroes into Latveria on an unsanctioned mission. Those heroes are Spider-Man, Wolverine, Captain America, Black Widow, and Daredevil. Luckily, all of Bendis' favorites and all the ones that were kind of selling well. Huh. What a funny coincidence. (laughs) Isn't it? Uh, This saw uh, Maria Hill's ascension to S.H.I.E.L.D. boss, which may have, this is just me editorializing, I think it gave her the superpower to appear in 99% of Marvel's output. And somehow sidestep any kind of fan backlash. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I mean, Wolverine shows up in three issues; he gets crucified. Maria Hill's in every issue, and nobody says anything. That's fine. Okay. Uh, later on, Nick Fury would lead a team called the Secret Warriors. Uh, that that came out around, uh, I want to say, Secret Invasion. Um, <clears throat> there was a retelling of the original Secret Wars in 2010. It was called Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. This was an all-ages retelling of the event from Spider-Man's point of view. Uh, the story was also adapted into a two-part episode from that uh, mid-90s Spider-Man animated series. That's it. I never heard of this uh, this retelling. Have you looked at it? Have you seen it? I think I have the digest version. Because a lot of the all-ages stuff that was, uh, instead of being released in trade paperback format, it yeah. was released like in a digest size. Yeah, they did the runaways like that. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say I've got it, but I don't think I've read it. 
I'd really, I'd be interested to take a look at it. It sounds yeah. interesting, and you know, I'd like to know. I think they did a uh, retelling of uh, the Infinity Gauntlet too. Huh. From Spider-Man's point of view, I, I, I could be mistaken on that. I think I'd like to see that. I've never heard of these, but uh, I think I'd like to see them. So luckily after that, of course, Chris, they'd never used Secret Wars ever again. Thankfully. Except in 2015, there was Secret oh, Wars, yeah, was... the event. Uh, that was Jonathan Hickman and Isad Ribic on art, uh, Hickman on writing. This one, I really have trouble. I, I was trying to come up with a synopsis and this is you can't bullet point this one it's it's really is difficult yeah you can bullet point this but the the point the result was that the entire marvel line halted publication while this went on uh and it was some titles were canceled some were put on pause and they were replaced by miniseries to bridge this gap a lot of weird books weird worlds uh yeah. katie pride the star lord oh yeah that's right she became there were so many weird books out of nowhere and the entire uh and so it served like a whatever Secret Wars location story was for those characters. But the result of this all was that new number ones, everybody, they all came out mm -hmm. after this one. Uh, and actually during, <laughs> yeah, while this event was still going on, it, it didn't it have like an they issue or two delays. added as it went along? Yeah, they added an issue, and I think there were delays on top of that. There were definitely delays. I remember that. Yeah, I think they added an issue, though, like after the third or fourth one came out. They said, oh, now it's going to be nice. And that, that last issue... It's like twice the price of all the other ones. Yeah, it's like six ninety nine or something. It's, it's crazy. Ridiculous. And I think, I, I can't remember if it was Secret Wars or the one before that, but the last issue of that like came out the same month as the first issue of the next big world-breaking event. Wow. I mean, it was just nutty time. <laughs> it still is. Yeah. Uh, now, we're going to talk about every big event, or not every big event, but a lot of the big events that followed uh, from any of the uh, big two publishers here. Of course... Just a little bit after Secret Wars, we had Crisis on Infinite Earths, which ran for, for 12 issues during 1985 and 86 by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. We're not going to go deep on that because I'm sure we'll have at least an episode on that. Absolutely, eventually. yeah. This, this, this would have huge ramifications for the DC Universe going up until this moment, and as you will see, even as we talk about this list. Yeah. Um, DC, uh, the next year, did a... Did a event called Legends. Ran for six issues, uh, penciled by our buddy John Byrne, plotted by John Ostrander, written by Len Wein. He's a, a pretty big all-star cast of uh, creators here. This was uh, like a superhero registration act type of thing. Uh, President Ronald Reagan kind of put a moratorium on the superheroes for a bit. Yeah, but they and, proved uh, their mettle, don't worry. Well, of course. And uh, we also have Millennium which was uh, eight issues, 1988. This is, uh, DC was doing like the yearly, the yearly event for a little while here post-crisis. Uh, this one, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, Legends, you can kind of, uh, is kind of analogous to Civil War from Marvel, and Millennium is kind of analogous to, uh, to Secret Invasion, which came out a little bit later. Yeah. And uh, this one here is, you don't know who a Manhunter is. I mean, your best friend could be a Manhunter. And, uh... The Manhunters are bad. <laughs> and we find, and they're, they're there to, to kill other people. Uh, hunt men, basically. And uh, you find out that, like, Lana Lang was a Manhunter. Yeah. It, it, just some such weird stuff that uh, really didn't get mentioned a whole lot. I, I, I dug this one, actually, to be honest with you. But it is, it is, uh, I mean, really, it should be, like, continuity shattering. 
And, but, and it wasn't. And, and the thing of it is, is it was the tightest, I think it might have been the tightest event ever. Every single tie-in had a chapter number. That's true, so yeah. Like, so it's like you had Millennium, chapter 38 was an issue of Legion or something. It was just so tightly tightly knit. It was uh, that, that I can really dig out of it. Um, over in Marvel, we had the Evolutionary War, which was 11 annuals in 1988, crossed into many books, including ALF. <laughs> Yeah, alien life form, Gordon Shumway. He had his own evolutionary war chapter. Um, also, uh, in What If, Volume 2, Number 1, July 1989, we had uh, What If the Avengers Lost the Evolutionary War, written by Roy Thomas with art by Ron Wilson. Um, back in D.C., we had The Cosmic Odyssey, written by Jim Stalin and Mike Mignola. This is a four-issue prestige format series in 1988. And uh, this one, I think the most lasting effect is that uh, John Stewart, the Green Lantern, allows a, or fails to save a planet, which really affects his character from that point on. Hmm. Uh, it was uh, really nice. I, I like the, uh, the Magnola art was very nice. Uh, you know, I, ha- I have the trade. Uh, I don't know if I've ever sat and read it all, but um, definitely, you know, looking at Magnola's art is no trial, so I should, def- yeah. I should pull it down and take a look. But I have read Invasion. That was three issues, uh, 1988 to 89. This was Paul Kupperberg and was it McFarlane drew them all? Uh, I know he McFarlane drew. McFarlane drew them. some of them. I think uh, Giffen was in there for a bit. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Giffen drew a great Dominator. That was the big bad of this series. Yeah, the uh, thing with the dot on its head with the big teeth. Exactly, the big Japanese flag head and the, and the, and the teeth, <laughs> the yellow you body. You see them still sometimes skirting around the DC universe. Uh, this was interesting. So, I mean, the story was the Gene Bomb was exploded by the Dominators, and this caused an influx of new metahumans, uh, including, among other JLIs, Maxwell Lord, who had uh, gained sort of powers after that. But really, to me, the main thing that this story did, this entire crossover, and it was three main issues, but it ran through all the books, um, is that Kupperberg's Doom Patrol dies and, and paves the way for Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. It's like an entire event just to allow that to happen. Um, again, back in Marvel, we got Atlantis Attacks. That was 15 annuals with two interludes in 1989. Uh, you know, the annuals worked well, I thought, because you, yeah. they're always sort of a, apart from regular issue continuity. So both companies would try that stunt a few times over the years, and I, I, think, it, I think it's probably the way they should go, but that's uh, my editorializing on it. Uh, Infinity Gauntlet, that was Marvel also. Six issues, 1991. That was Jim Starlin. It was art by uh, George Perez for the first three or four issues, then uh, Ron Lim stepped in. Oh, yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, this this is really well-remembered. This is probably the event I've read and reread the most out of Marvel, for sure. Mm. Uh, and it's pretty much Adam Warlock versus Thanos, but there's so much wacky stuff that happens. And it all, yeah. gets, it all gets erased by the end, by very conveniently. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Armageddon 2001, this was 1991, at 13 annuals with two individual issues. This was a DC event that introduced Wave Rider, the time-traveling good-time guy. And uh, this, this series is best known because they changed the big bad of that series was Monarch, and it was planned to be Captain Adam, but they changed it to Hawk because there was a leak. Yeah. Uh, which really is, is also uh, one of the... It wasn't the first time, but one of the first times you really see a comic react to the fans like that and it's yeah. sort of as par for the course now <laughs> yeah we uh we we test the way the wind is blowing uh, all the time now it seems 
um, back in Marvel, we have the follow-up to the Infinity Gauntlet, which was the Infinity War. It was uh, six issues in 1992. It was Jim Stall, and I want to say it was Ron Lim the whole way through. This is Adam Warlock versus his darker side, the Magus. And uh, this featured uh, superhero doppelgangers, which uh, one of whom actually made it through the entire event. That was the, the doppelganger Spider-Man. Huh. The, uh, the, like the six-armed, monstrous-toothed Spider-Man who uh, he would show up from time to time. He, was, uh, he played a, a sizable part in uh, Maximum Carnage, which we might get to a little while later. <laughs> <laughs> that is lovingly referred to as Maximum Garbage <laughs> and accurately. Um, we had Bloodlines back in D.C. This is 23 annuals of 1993. This is where they introduced new characters. Uh, they, every Each issue had a new character, a new metahuman character, mm-hmm. where we had, uh, you know, what was it Loose Cannon, uh, the Cyber Rats, the Blood Pack, all, all those all those geeks. And, of course, Hitman, and, uh, the only successful yeah, oh, one. Hitman, yes, he is the only one that <laughs> really is remembered fondly and actually went on to doing that. Yep. Uh, this wrapped up in two issues of uh, Bloodlines. Uh, it was called Bloodlines Bloodbath, which is uh, was the culmination of the storyline. And, you know, Chris wrote an article about this for uh, the Weird Science DC comic site that's, that'll explain yeah. everything about Bloodlines. So if you're interested, go give it a search, give it a look. I'll, maybe I'll put it in the, a link in these show notes. Oh, very nice. Um, back to the Infinity Well. We have the Infinity Crusade. This is six issues in 1993. More Jim Starlin. Now, this is Adam Warlock's female side, which I think is, like, his good side. <laughs> and uh, this is where I kind of fell off the Infinity train. Uh, she, uh, she does stuff. Um, uh, <laughs> now we have Zero Hour, A Crisis in Time. Ran from five issues in 1994, running uh, from issue four to issue zero. Yeah. This is a Dan Jurgens joint here. Uh, Hal Jordan as Parallax. He attempts to remake the DC Universe from the ground up. He kind of lost his mind when uh, Coast City was obliterated during the reign of the Superman, and uh, he wants to fix things. Uh, This storyline actually wound up muddying up as many things as it cleared up. Uh, Really messed with the JSA. uh, Did some weird, wacky stuff with Hawkman. Legion, too, also kind of got messed up a little, yeah. And uh, ended with... uh, I think it was Damage, who uh, is kind of a take on the human bomb. He blows up and is basically the big bang of this new post-zero-hour DC universe. The final issue and the trade end with an actual timeline with, like, Todd dates yeah. <laughs> for when things happen, which um, I love because I, I love continuity, but unfortunately a lot of the creators don't. So it really doesn't work in a shared universe. It's, uh, you know, it's like... Well, th- this this timeline says this, but you said that, and it's like, well, what are you gonna do? It's done. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, this brought about uh, a month called Zero Month, where all of DC's titles received an issue zero, which would uh, either tie into the event or explore the new, or altered, or now current origins of the characters. Which is something they still kind of uh, do now, and zero issues. Mm. Uh, you know, they don't come from this, but I feel like this popularized it, you know, the idea of having a zero issue. Yeah, because um, that, that came out of, uh, I remember like a lot of image books did that, but I think a lot of that was because they couldn't stick to their, uh, they couldn't stick to their scheduling. Yeah. So if they if they wrote like an eight-page eight, eight page story instead of a regular 24-page one, they could release that as a number zero. Yeah, I, as, I, as, as I've heard, as a matter of fact, they would sometimes have 
Slater to number one that wasn't finished, so they'd have to yeah. jam a zero issue in. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, you know, it's like I say, zero hour didn't start it, but. I feel like after Zero Hour, both you know Marvel and DC, yeah. just exactly, they, they started just cranking Zero issues here and there when they felt like it was necessary. Now, we're not done with the Infinity <laughs> Saga yet, folks. We got the Infinity Abyss. That was six issues in 2002. Again, written by Jim Starlin, the only guy allowed to write uh, <laughs> Apparently. Uh, you know these events for some reason. And in that one... Thanos does stuff. Uh, I don't. I'm not familiar with it, but I did read up a little bit on it, and that, and it didn't tie into anything. It, it, it didn't. Really it didn't have any. Uh, it yeah. Didn't run through any issues. Yeah. Um, Identity Crisis on the DC side. This was seven issues in 2004. Uh, to me, um, Chris and I talked about this. This was really never meant to. I don't think to be a crisis story. No. It, it did have ramifications afterward, and it fits the criteria if you wanted to. But I, I, we both feel that. Crisis was tacked on to the title here to make it seem yeah. uh, more impactful. Novelist Brad Meltzer wrote this one, and this had some uh, nice adult storytelling. We got some mind wipes, we got some body burning, we got some rape. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, some great <laughs> Michael Turner covers, and really not bad artwork throughout. Yeah. Um, to be, you know, if you get the trade and you want to read the trade as a singular story, I don't think it's hateable. It's just the, no. it's the. Spinning out into continuity, I think, rubs people the wrong way because it really makes a lot of these heroes into think, people that are not very heroic. No, uh, I really liked this the first time I read it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, in 2004, I was 24. So I was, uh, you know, into more adult things than I would have been, you know, sometime earlier than that. But uh, and I also didn't have as much of an attachment to these characters then. So it's like, oh, Sue Dibney gets raped and burned and killed while she's secretly pregnant with Ralph Dibney's kid. It's like, oh, yeah. we're now reading that after actually going back and doing homework. And that, that kind of thing is like, it's heartbreaking now. It is. It, but, it, 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 and, you know, they, they picked a, a kind of a good character for that. Uh, absolutely. The because she's both beloved but not integral in a sense. Uh, yeah. But it's, you know, Ralph Dibney's character has never been the same, and rightly so. No, he died just uh, what following following fifty two. He died. Yeah, but then they brought him back uh, as like a ghost detective or something. Yeah, and, and, then, and then I think he came to life after Darkest Night, and he is yeah. back in the book now. But for a while, he was hiding in the guise of a character named Big Shot. It's crazy. Oh, that I didn't know. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it gets wild. It's 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 really it's really a crazy thing. But uh, so that 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 was a pretty shocking stance for DC to take right there. Uh, and the next one, I think, is really should have been a Marvel DC crossover, the Infinite Crisis. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's right there in the in the title. This was seven issues, two thousand five to two thousand six. This was written by Jeff Johns, drawn by Phil Jimenez. Uh, this is really pretty good. Uh, he's a pretty good uh, next step from George Perez. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, it's uh, this is really well drawn, uh, and and frankly, a pretty. I wouldn't don't want to say tight story, but you know it's it's Jeff Johns' love letter to DC. So if you are steeped in DC continuity, this will read very well to you. If you're not, you might be like, "What the hell's going on here?" Yeah, I, I hate the term continuity porn, but this is kind of that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, what it did is it brought back the multiverse, where Crisis yeah. the Infinite Earths had uh, taken it away. Presumably, I mean, you know, they always say that, but you know, there are always so many concessions made over the years. <laughs> but but this brought it pocket universe exactly, yeah, all these little conveniences so that we didn't have to give up any of our beloved characters. Uh, 
But this brought it all back into regular mainstream continuity and resulted in a weekly series that I would really recommend called 52. Yeah. Um, that's both available in an omnibus and in, oh, I don't know, four, four, four or five, yeah. oh, trades, yeah. Um, on, at the Marvel side, there's something you might have heard of, Marvel Civil War. This ran for seven issues, 2006 to 2007, written by Mark Millar, drawn by Steve McNiven. This one had a superhuman registration act also. And uh, nobody in this whole book is in character. It's really, I, I never liked this story. I, I like the idea behind it. Uh, but in, I, in practice, I mean, it's, if, if you're going to do this as a one-off, that's a great story. But, I mean, if you have, it's like you can't just drop this into continuity because it affects everything. It, it, and it's, it's, they've basically been almost been trying to play cleanup on it since. Yeah. Uh, trying to, like, deal with all the ramifications. Um, yeah, and, like, the characters don't act correctly. You know, I really like the part where it was sort of like Captain America and Iron Man played the roles they didn't expect them to play. Mm. But that's, that's really it. And like you say, that, that could have been one issue. Sure. Uh, of any of either of their comics, and but uh, and the publishing schedule was all over the place. This was during a time that I was uh, sort of not reading comics. I, I was talking to Chris about our different valleys of comics purchasing, um, and I remember looking at the schedule of this and thinking, "God, I'm glad I'm not a <laughs> fool, <laughs> fooling with that." I've read a lot of these uh, after the fact, and I, I, you know, nicely drawn, and it's got yeah, some moments, but. Um, it was really uh, kind of a mess, and because of the publishing schedule was messed up, spoiled it spoiled Spider-Man's unmasking, which was a huge moment in Civil War. We could say that was almost like definitely one of the top three moments, right, in Civil War. Spoiled in an issue of Thunderbolts. Yeah. <laughs> and this book, and like the, you know, all these events that we're talking about had tie-ins to some extent, but starting really starting, I probably with Infinite Crisis. Oh, the tie-ins, folks. Uh, you could, you could, you know, like the the main book is however many seven, six issues. The tie-ins go on forever and ever. They, you need a second mortgage. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, that's actually. Uh, I had tweeted to uh, when they were doing the new Secret Wars here. I had uh, tweeted to. I think this is what got me blocked from Tom Brevoort. I because uh, they were saying you know in summer of 2015 it's you know World War Hulk summer of 2015 Armor Wars summer of 2015 I think it was 2015 right it? yeah it was yeah uh, it's like uh, you know Extinction Agenda and I, I was like uh, I'm like the only summer 2015 announcement I'm waiting for is how much this is going to cost me <laughs> and it got me blocked yeah <laughs> they didn't I, want to tell you that because it's no cost a lot yes it would and I. You know, it's like that's when you really you draw that line of demarcation. It's like, am I a completionist or am I, am I just gonna not? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for me, it was not. And uh, we go uh, a year later. Marvel did Secret Invasion, ran for eight issues in two thousand eight. Uh, this is a Bendis book. I think Lionel Francis Yu was the artist on it. Okay. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, this is kind of like a millennium. I mean, Marvel attempts to retcon certain events in their history by explaining them away as having been enacted by scrolls other than heroes. So if a character died, it's like, no, 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 that was a scroll, you know? Yeah. So uh, it ran for, uh, it felt like it ran forever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you like, if you're a big fan of classic covers ruined by uh, having scrolls taking the place of the heroes on them, boy, are you in luck. Yeah. <laughs> Every month. 
we had a you know we had a classic Avengers issue where Captain America had the ridges on his chin. It's like oh okay enough. Also, if you want and, the stories that you've that you've loved or even liked or even just like took as you know uh, as canon as canon just destroyed. Well here here's here it is. Here you go. Uh, you you really want Mockingbird back? Here you go. <laughs> but you know it's, uh, these these probably weren't as heinous as the uh, zombie variants they did for. Oh god, I forgot about that. Ugh. Um, Final Crisis back in DC, seven issues from 2008 to 2009. It was written by Grant Morrison. I think it was art by J.G. Jones. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and uh, you know features the the death of Martian Manhunter. Uh, some new god stuff happened. Uh, we're not completely sure, but we think this was originally intended to be longer than seven issues, but something might have happened. Yeah. Um, now, this was preceded by uh, the weekly uh, Countdown, which changed to Countdown to Final Crisis during its latter half, and uh, had very, very, very little to do with the actual book. Um, another one of the lead-ups was The Death of the New Gods, which had nothing to do with the book. Had nothing to do with the book at all, yeah. <laughs> and there were a lot... Of, we talk about tie-ins. There were a lot of follow-ups to this. I mean, There's, I mean, this takes like two years of college study to get through all this. I think it's, it's, I actually had to use annotations to get through this. Really? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, because it's a Grant Morrison book that I didn't like, so that kind of troubled me. Yeah. Like, Why don't I like this? I should, <laughs> and I didn't. And uh, you know, you look at a, a DC Comics rack, and they all have those red red bars on the side of the. <laughs> Yeah. Look, it's like every book. Um, back in Marvel, same year, 2008, we have Siege. Ran for four issues. This is more Bendis. Now, this deals with the fallout from Dark Reign, which wasn't an event so much as a branding. Yeah. This is after after Secret Invasion, Norman Osborn kind of saves the day, becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, starts running the Thunderbolts, has his own team of Avengers, X-Men. That's where we had the Dark character, like the Dark Avengers, the Dark X-Men. All that kind of garbage. And uh, this is basically the culmination of all Marvel stories from Civil War till then. Um, and ended with new number ones. Hey! Uh, you know, it's like, how about, uh, you, you really like these Avengers books? How about five more ongoing at $4 <laughs> a piece with double shipping months? Uh, you know, we uh, we really want your money, folks. Uh, we're going to jump ahead a few years here to uh, 2011. A story that... Uh, a lot of people see it as a jumping on point. I kind of saw it as a jumping off point. This is Flashpoint. Uh, ran for five issues. This is basically where the Flash goes back in time and alters history to facilitate the new 52. Yep. And 52 new number ones. Um, now, when you look at this here, you got to realize that this was not just five issues. There were how many miniseries went into this? Like 15 miniseries? Oh, uh, they were all, like... all told, it was 59 issues. Yeah. Plus the five. So we got 64 issues for this event. This is this is not a year-long event. This is a two- or three-month event. I think it was two months, yeah. Maybe it was three, yeah. but yeah, it was it was just the summer, really, before uh, It was just the summer the before 52. the New 52. So, I mean, and, and, and you know, we, we talk about Marvel halting their publication for Secret Wars in 2015... DC didn't do that. Yeah, that was DC, a big problem. <laughs> DC still published their entire line. <laughs> so you had, you know, you had your three or four issues of Superman, your your fifteen issues of Batman, plus all of these Flashpoint books. Yeah, it which, was uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I I bought the first month's worth. Realized that these were never going to be mentioned again. But yeah, they were in Convergence briefly. But it's like, it's like this is not going to matter. 
because yeah. nothing matters right now. I mean, I mean, I mean, literally, they set up an entire like stasis Universe. world. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was going to be wiped away at the end. It was like created to be wiped away. And I, and I'll say, some of the stories are interesting. I remember the Batman one. In that one, it's that's uh, the one that stands out. Yeah, that's the one that really stands out. The Wonder Woman one. It's like Wonder Woman versus uh, Aquaman, Aquaman too. That one's all right. Um, Lois Lane and the Resistance. Yeah, some of, and then there the, were the 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 Rand. They did a, another Rand Thanagarian thing, yeah. which well, those always leave me cold. So and the Canterbury Cricket. It's it's oh god, it's <laughs> it's really up and down this thing. But yeah, it was crazy. They published and you know I, when I think about it now, they're doing that now with Rebirth. They have Rebirth going on concurrently with books with still held over. And when you look at those numbers, you see that people just don't give a crap about them anymore. <laughs> that's that's why a lot of the uh, it's funny because. You know, you think about the issues that if you're going to dig through a back issue bin, it's like, I'll never find number one. It's like, no, you're never going to find the last issue because it was so underordered because nobody wanted the damn thing. It's true, yeah. It's uh, it, it, So those are the hardest ones to come across. It, it's sort of a shade, and, and new number ones are the most common damn issues. I mean... <laughs> yeah, we've got like 15 of the same book. The real, qu- the real question is, do I have the right number one? You know what yes. I mean? So uh, eventually, well, all the issues will be number one. It'll be a lot easier for everybody. So you'll, yes. know, you'll know you'll always be jumping on the first one. Uh, back to Marvel. We're going to uh, talk about Avengers vs. X-Men. This was 12 issues in 2012. Uh, basic story here was, you like the X-Men? Well, stop it. You'll like the Avengers now. <laughs> and this resulted in new number ones. Yay. Uh, Age of Ultron. That was 10 issues in 2013. Another Marvel production. This was Bendis. And who was on art for this? Do you remember? I don't recall. I, I want to say Alan Davis did a little bit of it. Okay. But I could be wrong. Uh, I I think I've only looked at this a little bit, but uh, I definitely didn't did not read the entirety of it. Uh, this was written a couple years before it was published, and it's notable for bringing former Spawn image character Angela into the Marvel universe, and she's still there today. Uh, this is all post that Todd McFarlane Neil Gaiman lawsuit stuff, which we'll get to sometime. That's a real tangled web in there. Uh, has to do a little bit with Mar- Miracle Man, aka Marvel Man, a little bit with independent publishers, but we'll talk about it someday. Uh, in this Age of Ultron... This was Brian Hitch for the Bra- first five issues. Oh, interesting. Uh, Brandon Pe- Brandon Peterson on the second half. So I'm surprised I'm surprised it didn't take... Uh, I'm surprised we're still not in this event right now, if it's easy. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, it, you know, while this was going on, there was a, a storyline in Spider-Man called uh, The Superior Spider-Man, where Dr. Oct- mm-hmm. Octopus had taken over Peter Parker's body right before death. You have to see it to understand... Uh, superly wildly popular, but this is a great story. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a great story and uh, definitely turned me around. I, I remember g- getting into it, sort of hearing the hype and saying, "Oh, let me see this. What's this about?" Oh, I was expecting to hate it. Exactly. I was <laughs> I like, really "This sounds it. stupid as hell," but I should have known that. Often, stories and comics sound stupid when you talk about them, as we <laughs> learn every week when we do Cosmic Tread- Treadmill for the podcast. Yes. But uh, this was actually a great Superior Spider-Man, but Age of Ultron did not even use that Spider-Man. Because partly you could say, well, it was written earlier, but also I don't think Bendis gave a shit. That's really all there was to it. Uh, I think he had his agenda and he played it out. Um, Oh, back to DC. We got the Trinity War slash Forever Evil. This is... And persists on forever. Really, this went on forever. And as a matter of fact, Trinity War, when New 52 began... Uh, this Trinity War was was positioned as going to be the first big event. It turned out just to lead into Forever Evil, which yeah. was uh, the the villains or the the people from Earth Three. Yeah, the Crime Syndicate invaded 
uh, Prime Earth and, you know, captured all the heroes or locked them away in Firestorm. That's what happened. Yeah. Anyway, all told, this was 18 issues from 2013 to 2014. The last issue especially, I think, was three months late, yes. uh, which really screwed things because this was, you know, they were like, again, there was ramifications coming out of it uh, already before the story had concluded. And there were... David Finch? David Finch drew this, that's right. I, I don't know why we didn't put all the... Uh, Jeff Johns wrote it. Johns, yeah. At least the Forever Evil part. I don't know why we didn't put all the names, the uh, names, but... Can't win them all, folks. We do the best we can. Uh, there were a few spin-off titles from this. There was uh, Forever Evil Argus, Forever Evil Arkham War. Uh, I think there was one other one. And then there was Forever was Evil third, yeah. Blight, which was the magic characters. And this pretty much kicked me off of the magic books for a long time. Uh, that Yeah, that took over Justice League Dark. It took over. It took over. Just like Dark, Constantine, <laughs> uh, Phantom Stranger, a lot of these things, and that alone was eighteen issues. Uh, and wow. boy, it was not good, folks. No. Um, and that's since, since you didn't have enough of uh, the Avengers fighting the X Men, they came back for Avengers vs X Men Axis. That was nine issues in twenty fourteen, and this flipped everything on its on its head, folks. All the good guys are bad. All the bad guys are good. And this is sort of the start of the demutantization and the inhumanization of the Marvel U, which is still ongoing. Um, and they changed it so Magneto was no longer Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch's father. And I think this is where the Gypsy origin or the back, yeah. Romany was. Yeah, I think that's where we are now in Marvel. Yeah, sticking with Marvel the same year. Um, I think this is the third event of that year. Oh, this is uh, Original Sin, ran for nine issues. Uh, Jason Aaron wrote it. I cannot remember who drew it. Uh, the Watcher gets killed for watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he sees something that he shouldn't have seen, so he gets killed. And some goons, and this is like real, you know, second tier. Maybe the, This is like fifth tier villains come and they steal his eye. And uh, it ends with Nick Fury, the real one. Becoming the new Watcher, he lives on the moon, and I, I really, I wanna, I wanna say I'm picturing him with a ball and chain shackled to his ankle. I, I think he <laughs> is, yeah. I, he, he showed up recently in the issue of Silver Surfer, and he was still chained to that spot. <laughs> there you go. Um, we mentioned briefly, Convergence ran for nine issues in 2015. Is DC? This uh, basically allowed DC to move from their offices in New York to their offices in Burbank. Um, this is, uh, they canceled, or not canceled, but they halted publication on all their titles um, for two months and filled them in with uh, inconse inconsequential minus one yeah. <laughs> um, miniseries. The only one that really stood out to me then and now is the Superman one that uh, Dan Jurgens wrote. Yeah, um, and, and Titans has, it did have ramifications hmm. leading into the DCYOU initiative that stopped it, but yeah, most of them... Yeah. It was really, I am, you know, this really would take another, maybe maybe we'll just have one day just us <laughs> complaining about this event because it was just so uh, disappointing. It, it, I, it, that's, that's the perfect word for it. It was disappointing because it felt like the olive branch to, to us old timers who, uh, I, 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 I can't speak for both of us, but, I, you know, I, there was a feeling of betrayal when uh, the New 52 started. Sure, yeah. And, uh and, and like here was the olive branch. It's like, oh whoa, Superman's wearing. He's he's got the trunks. What's going on here? Absolutely, you know, it's yeah. Like, uh, and a lot of your and a lot of favorite heroes are going to make a comeback, and you're also going to see matchups that might be somewhat interesting. And Dan DiDio even said like, this is going to be conclude 
a lot of your favorite stories or offer you the endings you've you've missed, you know, because yeah. there's and it wasn't that. Um, no. Like I say, I really could it was go time killer. on too much with this, but it it's <laughs> for, for a for a uh, two month event that was handled by a different editorial staff that supposedly started working almost a year before this. Yeah. It it felt like a ton of bricks falling down a flight of stairs. Yeah, and and they and they had that uh, you know forty some odd week lead in with uh, with the new fifty two futures end and uh, Earth two whatever the heck that was Earth two world's uh, end. world's end yeah yeah so it was uh, it, it really was disappointing yeah. <laughs> and and kind of uh, can be looked at as DC Secret Wars when we when we kind of think of it hmm. um, speaking of Secret Wars that <laughs> happened again last year uh, and, and you know of convergence you know not. Discounting the uh, DC YOU initiative, this did not result in new number ones. It didn't. No, a lot of new books, that? but not, it didn't reset everything. It's true. No, um, Secret Wars, however, did. <laughs> yeah. They uh, canceled all their books to do those miniseries, and then everything came back at number one, including to where they even like. I, I hate the precious little jokes they put on some of the covers. It's like this is our only, this is only our second new number one this year of the year. Yeah. See, uh, yeah, like, unbeatable that's little, Squirrel Girl did that. I yeah. know. A little too clever by half that yeah. I really don't have the patience for. Um, <laughs> and then this year, Civil War. Again, uh, Civil War Two. This is uh, another Bendis, and uh, I don't remember who's on art. Uh, uh, Alex Marquette, perhaps? I don't know. Um, and we're getting, I'm sure we're getting new number ones, right? Yes, we're getting new number ones in October. I mean, we're kind of in this event right now yeah. to some extent. Or it's uh, just ending. Yeah, and then in a couple months we have... IVX, the Inhumans versus the X-Men. That's going to take us through the winter. Um, also, this year we had DC Rebirth, which uh, it's kind of a soft definition of event. Uh, probably the softest one we've seen in a while. Not a whole lot to whip it together outside the one shot. And uh, just gave us new number one issues. And a lot of them had two number one issues per book. I know. <laughs> and they were like, we've created the two number one issues. You know, hooray. Yep, and I'm glad they didn't use any of the decimal points, but uh, <laughs> that's that. Um, yeah, you know, we, we mentioned before, too, there were crossover events, and these are sort of different because they don't involve uh, the entire line of a publisher or much of many other heroes, but they sort of take place within a family of, uh, of heroes. So just real quickly, we're not going to take too much time on this, but here's, here's some we'll just list for you in the X-Men which might have the most of all, I think, uh, family mm -hmm. events or family crossovers, is uh, Fall of the Mutants, uh, Mutant Massacre, Inferno, Extinction Agenda, Executioner's Song, or Executioner's Song, really, mm -hmm. and the Age of Apocalypse, which canceled all the X-Men books, replacing them with miniseries for four months. Which might actually get an episode all of its own. That's, that was such, a, such an amazing event. Um, Spider-Man. We talked about Maximum Garbage. Well, that was one of them. Craven's <laughs> uh, Last Hunt's another one. Uh, you know, the first volume of Spider-Man we mentioned during our John Byrne talk ended with uh, the final chapter and the Gathering of Five. Uh, you know, perhaps the Clone Saga even, which is more of an arc, but did stay, uh, you know, did proceed through those, uh, the four Spider-Man titles and even, I think, into uh, the quarterly Spider-Man Unlimited. 
Yeah, it went on for a long time. Long, 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 long time, and we'll probably get to that one eventually because there's there's quite a bit of information out there on that one, and it's it's a it's a wild, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. a wild behind the scenes story. I think we'll get to that, but we're gonna have to do some serious studies, folks, because that's, there's a lot lot to unpack in that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that actually they they actually published a book in the late '90s called like a thousand and one ways to end the clone saga wow that was actually a book that marvel put out oh, wow um which it's a lot of navel gazing and silliness but it's it's worth having for the novelty um superman the death of superman there's a there's one big <laughs> big uh, family crossover and uh we also had a new krypton which was like 2009 ish yeah and uh a lot of uh, New 52 crossovers. You had that Hell on Earth, you know, the Hell on Earth storyline right. that ran through the super books. Also, Doomed ran Ugh. through a lot of them. But, uh, a lot of uninspired yeah. stuff in the New 52 for Superman. Uh, probably yeah, one of the more maligned. Their, yeah, they couldn't really get their story straight with him, unfortunately. No. Um, Green Lantern, this is going to be its own show. Uh, there's so <laughs> many, uh, you know, insular Green Lantern events. We'll just name one here, Blackest Night, but... Mm-hmm. Go on and on. Talk about Brightest Day. Talk about the uh, Sinestro Core War. Um, in the New 52, you had the New Gods thing. You had the uh, Relic okay. thing. Um, it goes on and on and on. So that that's really... One day, we, we have talked about doing a Green Lantern history, which is a lot to talk about, and we'll probably yes. talk about some of these. And Batman uh, had some really classic ones in my mind. Uh, under Denny O'Neill as an editor, they did Nightfall, Night Quest, Night's End. That was Batman got his back broken by Bane. And uh, Azrael took over the mantle for a while. Uh, Prodigal, which was Nightwing, took over the mantle for yep. a while, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no Man's Land. Uh, this is still all. De- this is all Denny O'Neill uh, as yeah. an editor. So I get, this guy really is no joke. Um, this was a big earthquake rocks Gotham, making it sort of uh, different villains take over different sections. And this lasted yeah. over a and year. The, and the U.S. government just writes them off as a war zone. That's right. Yeah, the so U.S. government crazy. just writes them off. So it's like, oh, anything goes. This that went on over a year. Eighteen months, I want to say. It went on a long, long time. Yeah. And it actually, uh, it had ramifications on the DC universe overall because uh, Lex Luthor came and bankrolled the uh, repair or the, you know, bringing Gotham back. And that kind of was part of uh, the fervor that swept him into the White House. Yeah, oh yeah. So this is, uh, we had President Lex from this. That's right. Um, yeah, there were, there were a few ramifications, a few relationships were forged. There was a whole Montoya Two-Face thing that... Yep. Uh, they played up, uh, you know, going up until the new fifty-two here and there. And it even uh, it even adds more fuel to the uh, is the killing joke in uh, in continuity because uh, at the end, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Commissioner <laughs> Gordon shoots the Joker in the leg. Right. And the Joker's going. He's like, "Oh my God, I feel, I feel, I feel just like your daughter." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like oh, whoa, <laughs> that's messed what a up. Jerk. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, the, these are all great. No Man's Land, I think I think it would be, we'd be remiss to say that every issue of it is great. But no. taken as a whole, I really think it's worth reading. It's a lot of paper, a lot of trades out there, and they just did reissue them, including some uh, uh, lead-up to No Man's Land. It's about, yeah, ah. That was the, uh, they had Contagion that went into uh, Cataclysm. Right. And Cataclysm was the earthquake. Exactly. And that led directly into uh, No Man's Land. It was a great few years of uh, stories it, it is it's it's but it's a lot and i you know i I, do, I don't like to tell you know suggest that people spend a lot of money that they you know but it this one is worth checking out go to the library and take a look and take sure. take, take a month checking it out if you like 
Um, into the New 52, we got Death of the Family and uh, The Court Night of the Owls. And pretty much everything Batman did in the New 52 yeah. was a family crossover to some extent, uh, which I think some of the creators didn't love. Mm. So that's just a little look at uh, different events and different crossovers. I think the point is that after Secret Wars, events and crossovers became par for the course. It was just going to happen on a regular basis. It was, it was, it's abnormal when they're not around. Yeah, I, and now, as, as Chris, and as you, when you look at our timeline, as Chris mentioned before, uh, they're not even like every year. They're like two in the same yeah. year. Like they, they run concurrently. Um, it's, uh, I would really love to talk to a new comic reader about what they think about that. As an, yeah. old, as an older comic reader, we find that it kind of takes us out of things, but... Uh, and it's like, you think, there's that saying, like, if, uh, if you put a frog in a pot of cold water and heat it up, they'll, they'll let themselves be cooked to death. Yeah. But if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, he's going to jump out. So with us being here forever, we're kind of that frog that's been sitting in the cold pot of water that's that's slowly getting hot. Yeah, and we're just like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about this. So we're not as easily jumping out of the pot. So we're just cooking ourselves. Yeah, a little bit, but you know, in some cases, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to put down every event, obviously, but sure, a lot of them do seem sort of slapped together, uh, and that publishing delays make reading the single issues difficult. Now. Uh, we just wanted to close out some final thoughts on Jim Shooter. Uh, this is a guy, you know, he was editor-in-chief at Marvel during the time that Secret Wars was published. And he wrote Secret Wars, as we as we discussed. Sort of has a weird legacy, wouldn't you say? Uh, he doesn't really get it. Uh, you know, I, we don't want to go too positive, and we don't want to go too negative on him. And we don't want to go too deep, because I'm sure Jim Shooter's got an episode or two in him. Absolutely. <laughs> But, uh, you know, he was responsible for a lot of things at Marvel. He, uh, he started the royalty system. Uh, at the time he was there, Marvel was put up for sale, and he had brought together investors to purchase it outright. A DC, you mean, yeah. No, no, Marvel. Oh, Marvel okay. Was oh, that's sale. right. He wanted to buy it. You're right, you're right, yeah. Yeah. And he had planned, uh, and it, you know, he gets a lot of uh, rocks thrown at him for his treatment of, like, Kirby and Ditko, but... He was saying, like, one of the first things he wanted to enact, and this is just him talking now, and it's easy to say it now, but he was saying that he, the first thing he wanted to do, or one of the first things, was to do some sort of retroactive royalty program for uh, people, you know, like for Kirby and Ditko and their heirs. And uh, it just seems like he gets vilified uh, a lot. Yeah. But, you know, granted, we didn't work with the man. <laughs> we, we don't know how it was working with him or how tyrannical or otherwise he might have been. So it's it's hard for us to say outside. But, you know, he, he points out that he, you know, he says that he was the final authority on these intellectual properties. He's been appointed steward. Yeah. And personally, I think he's right. You know, that, that's, that's what he was there to do. And so being polite when someone says they want to whatever, I want to, you know, chop off Spider-Man's foot or something. Well, no, you can't <laughs> do that because we need that foot in these yeah. other issues. Uh, I also think that he really was the only one that could have written Secret Wars at the time because it was a, a business proposal. Yeah. With with Mattel, so he couldn't he couldn't give this to one of these you know uh, spaced out creators. I, maybe I'm editorializing too much there, but <laughs> give it to another creator that might have wanted to do really you know cataclysmic stuff that might have sure. had to be explained as having ramifications. Whereas yeah, Jim Shooter knew he wanted to make a story where things could be wiped away. 
Sure, like you give it to Chris Claremont, it becomes an X-Men story. You give it to Byrne, it becomes a Fantastic Four story. I mean, like we talked earlier, there's a lot of ter- territorialism, and a lot of that, I, I, you know, I, I don't think a lot of that's done maliciously. I think it's just having an interest in what you're doing. And, uh, you know, Claremont, he's the X-Men guy. So you put Claremont on Secret Wars, and you don't get that scene where Spider-Man beats up the X-Men. I guarantee you that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's... And, and, you know, I, I, to his credit, when reading through Secret Wars, which frankly, when reading it now, this is probably the third, fourth time I've read the whole thing was for this mm-hmm. podcast. I wouldn't call it, you know, I guess maybe knowing the ending, it's sort of not the most invigorating story. Yeah. But Shooter uses every character. There's, oh, yeah. There's really no extra characters in there. They all do something, even to the point of doing something kind of strange, you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know, really, like like Claw becomes a major, you know, player for some reason out of nowhere, but, um, you know, he, he, he did his best to include everybody and make it seem like that everyone had to be there in order for the story to play out as it did, so... Yeah, organically and naturally, yeah. You know, I, uh, you know, I think that in the end, I think he was a guy that he had, felt like he had a job to do and he did it to the best of his ability and that didn't, you know, sit well with some people and that's how it is when you're in that seat sometimes, you know, at the, sure. at, in charge of things. So I definitely do want to do a bio on Jim Shooter, so I didn't want to go too yeah. long on it, but, you know, he has such a negative stigma attached to him. I, we, we kind of knee jerk. I, uh, yeah, exactly. And we, we yeah. kind of wanted to point out that, you know, this isn't, this wasn't, I don't think this guy was the uh, comics devil, but when we talk about him, we will certainly talk about some of the screwed up things that he said and did, so don't worry, that'll come in a future episode. But New universe. If you want to correct all the things we got wrong about Secret Wars or the events that we've talked about or anything like that, or tell us uh, what you think about event stories, or if you're a new reader and you want to tell us how you're receiving uh, comics currently, that they are in sort of a perpetual event cycle, please write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Reggie Reggie. And uh, I want you every day to check out Chris is on infiniteearth.blogspot.com. He uh, has talked about some of these comics in there <laughs> over over the years. That That's uh, all DC comics in that, but uh, he does a new DC comic every single day. It's very entertaining, very informative. Thank you. Totally worth your time. Um, but I think that that wraps us up. Do you have anything else for him, Chris? Nope, that'll, that'll do us for this week. Well, for the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast, uh, we thank you for listening and we'd like you to keep it weird secretly. What if I had the power to gather all of my favorite MCs with the illest comic book characters and they became arch enemies? Inconceivable, unbelievable, yet as wild as it seems, the Emperor and Stan Lee will coach the two opposing teams. Keep it clean, no bats, no gats, guns, or interference. Comic book characters will go head up with raw lyrics. Now I take whoever might be on break from doing tours and have them sign up for the last Emperor's secret war. Sure, for that kind of capacity, we need a crazy large arena that might stretch from West Philadelphia to East Medina. If I'm able, I'd put it on pay-per-view through my label and give free tickets to my neighborhood bums with no cable yeah that sounds fat now that we've squared away the propositions let's begin with the ultimate tough man competition set it off it's the fight of the century krs and professor x would battle each other mentally with rhymes these two team captains waste no time charles xavier tried to invade chris parker's mind he shot a cerebral probe at chris's mind but he missed it 
Professor X taken out by the Blastmaster's metaphysics. Round two, new fight, words of life, you gotta see this. Locked in Mortal Kombat, it's Doctor Strange and the genius. Yeah, son, he's no match, let that graphic wizard have it. My liquid sword slashing straight through Doctor Strange's magic. Another hero down, and now the score is two to zero. My words from the genius, and he's still my ramen hero. Now the next fight was conducted in a rough-like manner. Specifically between Reggie Noble and Dr. David Banner. Or should I say the Incredible Hulk when he's amped off the gamma? But Reggie Noble soon became the Incredible Red Man and slammed him. You know how Red Man gets when his adrenaline starts pumping. Started skitzing in the ring, so then the thing tried to jump in. Ben Grimm leaps into the ring, and after Red Man he lunges. But Reggie Noble dropped him with two bricks, and he punches. Bums by the bunches, bums the dirtiest.